Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. So today I'm going to talk to you about baptism. You said, well, you should have done that a couple of weeks ago when we had a baptism, but, but I didn't. But do you remember what I did talk about on the day that we had the baptism? I talked about three parables that Jesus gave. He gave the parable of the leaven, he gave the parable of the mustard seed, and he gave the parable of the seed sown, what I just talked to the kids about. So there was the parable of this um, kingdom is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds grows up and becomes a haven for life. Kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which was put in three lumps, and soon or over time it leavened the whole lump, or three measures, not three lumps, but three measures. So a little leaven was put in three measures, and soon it leavened the whole lump. And we said three measures, that's a lot. A measure was 12 quarts of wheat. So this wasn't like a little biscuit. This was like a big lump of dough. And it pictures for us what? The kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God grows and influences our world. And then that last parable was the one where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows seed in his field, good seed in his field. But then an enemy comes and sows bad seed. And at the end of the age, God separates the good from the bad. That's par- those are parables of the kingdom. Then last week, we looked at Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And when we looked at that from John chapter 11, and we saw that it was the regenerating power of God that raised Lazarus from death to life, but Lazarus had to walk out of that tomb. Lazarus had to, out in the power of that life that God infused in him and raised him from death to life, Lazarus had to emerge from that tomb, from that place of death. And then the people around Lazarus had to loose him from the death clothes. Remember, he had grave clothes on. He was wrapped in these grave clothes. He had a, 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 um, not a scarf, but he had a, a sheet or a cloth over his face. And so he had eyes to see, but he couldn't see because his face was covered. And somebody had to come alongside of him and loose him from those grave clothes. Well, today we're going to look at Romans 6. You might think, what in the world does all of that have to do with Romans 6? Well, I'm going to tell you, okay? So I want you to think about this before I read Romans 6, verses 1 through 6. Man, or Adam entered into death, the victim of sin, though he did it. He became a victim of sin. Jesus entered into death, the victor over sin. Man entered into sin, and he he entered into death, a victim of sin. So sin brought death to man. But Jesus entered into death, the victor over sin. Therefore, Jesus became the victor over death. Jesus lived a sinless life and died the death he didn't deserve, but because of his sinless life and his sacrificial death, Jesus 
became the victor over death. Man is the victim of death, but Jesus is the victor over death. And when we are baptized into Christ, the Bible says we are baptized into his death so that through his resurrection life, we too are made victors over sin and death by grace through faith. We're not made victors in our own power, in our own strength. It's God. We're made victors over sin and death by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the sign of our death is baptism. The proof of our life is our walking out of death into new life by grace through faith. The proof that Lazarus was resurrected was that he walked out of the tomb. Jesus didn't say, well, he's in there, but he's alive. Now we can all go about our business. No. Jesus said, remove the stone from the tomb. Martha said, oh, he's going to stink. Jesus said, do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the proof that Lazarus was actually raised from the dead is that he walked out of death. He walked out of that tomb and he walked and lived life after that death. This is a picture of our, all of our lives in Christ. Baptism is the sign of our death. But baptism is not the point. Life is the point. So let's read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, listen, were baptized into his death? Therefore, he's asking a question to these believers. Therefore, God is asking this question of us today. Let me repeat the question here in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of, it, of sin." Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glorious truth of your gospel that has set us free from sin and death and has raised us to newness of life. May we be a people that 
do not simply know that we have died with Christ, that do not simply know that we are raised with Christ, but we would be a people that would walk free from death and walk in the newness of life, that we would glorify you in that life. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul says, when you're baptized, you're baptized into the death of Christ. But we're not baptized into that death so we can remain in death. We're baptized into that death so that we can be raised to new life. And he says that, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That's why you bury a dead body. You put the dead body away. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This was graphically portrayed for us in Christ, in his resurrection. But it was also portrayed for us, it was pictured for us when God, when Jesus raised Lazarus, From the dead. There was a reason that Jesus waited on purpose for Lazarus to die. There was a reason why Jesus waited for four days in that hot Middle Eastern weather to then go to the tomb of Lazarus and remove the stone and call Lazarus forth. Because Jesus knew that everyone would know that four days into that death, that's not when you want to go call a body out of a tomb. But when Lazarus came out, he came out in the newness of life. He didn't have a decayed body. He didn't have a stinking body. He didn't have a dead body. He had a body that was alive. And when those grave clothes were removed, there was a living being in fully alive, fully in life. The old man had been put away, but when Lazarus came out of the tomb, even though it was his body healed, it wasn't his glorified body, it was a picture of what happens to us spiritually when we are saved, when we are born again. This is Paul's point in Romans 6. Paul's not talking to dead people who are in tombs. He's talking to living people. And he's saying when you are baptized into Christ Jesus, you are baptized into his death. And you are baptized into his death so that your old man, your old dead self could be put away so that you could be raised up in spiritual life and spiritual newness and walk in that life. In that eternal life that's given to us in Christ. So last week when we looked at this picture of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. In that event we saw, remember, the regenerating power of God. God raising up Lazarus from death to life. Then we saw Lazarus, the raised man, the living man, brought alive from death to life. We saw Lazarus In that power of life given to him by Jesus, we see Lazarus walk out of the tomb, which means that we have to do what? If we've been buried with Christ and raised with Christ, what do we have to do? We have to walk. We have to walk out of death, and we have to walk into life. And we have to walk out our life in Christ. 
But you see, Lazarus didn't do that by himself. Lazarus came out of that tomb in grave clothes, and those around him had to do what? Jesus said, hey, you people, loose him and let him go. This, remember, pictures discipleship. This is why we are not suggested, it is commanded that we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because we all need one another. We all have grave clothes that we need to be loosed from, whether we realize it or not. And we need to be loosed from those grave clothes so that we can walk out the newness of life and give witness to the glory of God. Lazarus had to die, he had to be buried, and he had to rise up and walk, and he had to be loosed from those grave clothes in order for the glory of God to be fully seen in his resurrection from the dead. Lazarus could not have remained in the tomb or even in his grave clothes and, and glorified God. That would have been contrary to God's purpose for Lazarus. So if you've been baptized into Christ, the point of your baptism was not so that you would remain buried with Christ. The point of your baptism is that you would be raised with Christ and not, not, not stand there in your grave clothes, but that you would be loosed from those grave clothes, that you would be loosed from those things that represent death and you would walk in the newness of life. The same is true for everyone, just like Lazarus. It's true for everyone who is by grace through faith crucified and buried with Christ into his death. The sign of our death and our burial with Christ is our baptism. But the proof of his salvation and of his life is our walking in that life. The proof of, of his salvation from death, and that's what God does. He saves us from death. He saves us from eternal death by giving to us eternal life. And the proof of his salvation is our walking out life. Though a death is necessary for a resurrection, it is not the death, but the resurrection that is most notable. No one pointed and said, look, Lazarus is dead. They all pointed and said, look, Lazarus is no longer dead. He was dead, but now he's alive. It wasn't his death that was notable. It's his life that was notable. It's his resurrection that was notable. The focus of the believer is not on being baptized into the death of Christ, but in walking in the newness of life in Christ. We must comprehend the finality of our death in order to, to comprehend the miracle of our new life. Paul in Romans 6 talks about putting away the old man, that dead man, bury, put away, leave him, leave him there. The old man is put away. Well, what happens in the resurrection? We're raised a new man. This is the picture that Paul is giving to us here. And we can't fully comprehend the miracle of our new life until we fully comprehend the finality of our death. If you are in Christ today, you have been crucified with him. You have been buried with him. Your old man is put away 
And you are to walk in the newness of life that Christ has brought you into through the power of his resurrection. It's not our death, it's our life that is the proof of Christ's power working in us. Our baptism is the sign of our death and our burial with Christ, but our new life is the proof that we have been raised from the dead. There's a reason why Jesus said, remove the stone, and he called Lazarus forth. The only way the people would know that Lazarus was truly raised from the dead was to see Lazarus walking in life. The only way the world is going to know that you've been truly raised from the dead is not by you pointing at your baptism. It's by you walking in the newness of life. It's not how you died. It's how you live today. In God's sovereign plan, Lazarus was buried in that tomb so that he could be raised in life and emerge from that tomb to show the power and the glory of God. God's glory is to be seen in the man walking from death and walking into life. There is no resurrection without God, but it is the man walking in resurrection life that shows forth the glory of God. Lazarus couldn't raise himself from the dead. You can't raise yourself from the dead. Only God can do that. But you have to walk in that life that God has given to you. God has chosen for his glory to be seen as we each walk in the newness of his life and produce the fruit of his spirit. So through baptism, we are seeds that are planted. So this is the link that comes with this parable of the kingdom. The kingdom is like a man who sows good seed in his field. When we are baptized, the Scripture teaches that we are buried with Christ through baptism into death. So through baptism, we're buried with Christ into his death. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Or we could say it like this. Through baptism, we are seeds that are planted into the death of Christ so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we also should be raised to walk in newness of life. The point of planting a seed is to produce fruit. So if you plant if you plant a peach seed, I'm assuming you want to get peaches. Anders said he planted corn. He planted corn so that he could get corn. When the farmer plants wheat, he wants wheat. When he plants corn, he wants corn. He doesn't plant the seed so that the seed can just be in the ground. He plants the seed so that the seed will produce a harvest. It's not the planting, but the produce that ultimately counts. Our planting is to produce fruit. The measure of fruit produced is the measure of life produced. The point of our baptism of our baptism is not that we can say we were planted. The point of our baptism is a life that will produce fruit. It is God that must bring the increase from death to life and from planting to fruitfulness. 
He alone, God alone can do this. But God has chosen not to do it alone. The journey from death to life and from planting to fruitfulness happens as some do the work of planting and some do the work of watering. But we must always remember that it is God and God alone who brings the increase. You plant a seed in the ground, you don't make that seed grow. God does that. You planted it, you watered it, but it's not you out there going, grow, grow, grow. No, it it does that because there's, there's something inherent in that seed. There's life in that seed that God has put there. And God has designed this creation to give us this picture of his salvation. Jesus didn't just happen to use these object lessons because they fit well with with what he was trying to teach the people. Do you see that Jesus created the entire world, the entire creation, to give us a picture all around us of our salvation, of how we are to be planted and how we are to grow, how we die and how we come to life and how we walk out that life and give glory to God. Some plant, some water, But God brings the increase. Paul makes this clear in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes writes this to, to the Corinthians. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. We have a part to play. We have a work to do. God chose his created order to be that way. God could have done everything apart from us, but he chose to make us a part of him. This is why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we can't except die. And Jesus has made it very clear in his discourse in John 15 when he says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Or right here where Paul says some plant, some water, but God brings the increase. He who plants, he who waters, they're not anything. It's God who brings the increase. But those who plant and those who water Labor, and there is a reward for that labor. What is the reward for the farmer who plants his crop? It is the harvest. It is the fruitfulness that he gets to partake of. It's the same for us. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. A good farmer plants his seed. He plants good seed. When a farmer plants seed in good ground, he plants it as good seed with the expectation that it will grow and produce fruit. The good seed is planted into good soil. It's watered. The ground's cultivated. The seed's planted. The planted seed is watered and nurtured. And ultimately, it is to produce a harvest of good fruit. No farmer expecting fruit leaves his seed in the sack and fails to put it into the ground. Seed that's left in the sack will never produce fruit. You can't get a harvest from seed that's still in the sack. That sounds so obvious that it's ridiculous to even say. 
But think about how many Christians live their lives. They live their lives like farmers who just keep their seed in their sack, and they expect a harvest, but they're never going to get it because they never plant what should be planted. They never allow it to die and come to life. This is a picture of us and our salvation, but it's also a picture of our life and how we are to live our life and how we're to hold our life and the things in our life in giving them to God and allowing them to fall to the ground and die so that God can raise them up. The only way to know for sure if the seed is good is to plant it. And if the seed is never planted, it will never be known for what it truly is. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus tells us that the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Matthew 13, 38. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The seeds are planted in this world for the purpose of what? Of producing a harvest. In John 15, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now he's talking about grapevines there. But the point of planting a grapevine is to get what? Grapes. And the more grapes that the grapevine produces, Jesus said, The more my Father who is the vine dresser is glorified. It's the same here. The more fruit that is produced, the greater the harvest, the greater the glory for the creator, the farmer. So baptism, I want you to think about this, baptism is the planting of a seed. Until we are planted, we will never grow A seed can't grow until it's planted. But once a seed is planted, that seed is expected to grow from seed to full-grown plant with fruit. Baptism is a spiritual planting that begins a process of watering, nurturing, spiritual cultivation that leads to the increase in the fruitfulness that only God can bring. Baptism does not mark the result of our faith. Baptism marks the seed or the beginning of our faith. Baptism is not an end. Baptism is a beginning. Just like planting a farmer planting a seed is not the end. And you go, well, I'm done now. No, that's the beginning. He plants that seed because he's now expecting to receive a harvest. Jesus said the kingdom is like a farmer who plants good seed in his field. And the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. And God has planted you sons of the kingdom, you daughters of the kingdom, into this world so that you would grow up and bear fruit and he would be glorified. Baptism is the planting of a seed. Baptism marks that a seed has been planted. Baptism does not produce the seed. Baptism does not give us faith. Baptism marks that a seed has been buried with the expectation that from its death it will live and grow and produce fruit. Baptism identifies us as good seed. It buries us or plants us with Christ into his death. And if we have been planted with Christ into his death, Paul says, then we will be raised with him in his life. 
Baptism does this in the full expectation that we will be raised up to walk in the newness of Christ's life. Baptism may identify us, but it is life that proves us. Baptism identifies us as good seed, but the point of planting good seed is to get a good harvest. Baptism identifies us, but you see it as our life. It's walking out our life that proves who we are. We plant the seed, we water it, we work, and we nurture, and we care for that seed. We do all of that knowing that only God can bring the increase. But we plant the seed and we work in faith with the expectation that the seed will grow and mature and produce fruit. This is the patient faithfulness of a good farmer. And we are encouraged to be like that patient and good farmer. So baptism is the planting of the seed. It's also the thing that provides identity for the seed. We're not just baptized into any name. We are commanded specifically to be baptized into Christ. Paul, in in his letters, he says this, he writes this in Philippians, he writes this in Colossians. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul is writing, he says there's no longer Jew or Gentile. The middle wall of separation has been broken down. And now there is just one identity. He has created in himself one new man. In Jesus Christ is the one new man. So our identity is in Jesus Christ. This is why when we're baptized, we're baptized into Jesus. We're baptized into Christ because Christ is our identity. Identity. Baptism is the sign that identifies us with Christ, but Christ is our identity. Baptism is commanded for the same reason a farmer does not buy unmarked bags of seed. Can you imagine a farmer going down to the to the to the farm store, to the co-op, and saying, uh, I need I need 50 bags of seed? What, what's the best price you got? Well, I got, I got these 50 bags over here. They're unmarked. We don't know what they are. Okay, I'll take those. Well, what, what are you trying to grow? Well, I want to grow corn. I'll take my chances. We'll see what we get. No farmer would do that. Why are we commanded to be baptized We're commanded to be baptized for the same reason a farmer doesn't buy unmarked bags of seed. When a farmer plants his seed, he wants to know what he's putting into the ground. When we baptize people, big or small, we are identifying them as good seed, and we plant them with the expectation and the promise that good seed will produce good fruit. We don't baptize people thinking they're going to fail, thinking they're going to die, thinking that they're not going to going to ultimately grow up and produce fruit. And that doesn't matter whether they're three weeks old or whether they're 23 years old. I got baptized when I was 23 years old, but I baptized my grandson last weekend. It doesn't matter, big or small, when you baptize him. The point is when you baptize him, you're planting a seed and you're identifying them as being in Christ. 
And the expectation is that they're going to grow up and they're going to produce a harvest, a life consistent with what was marked on the bag. If I buy a bag that says corn and I put it in the ground, I'm expecting to get corn. And I work to bring that corn to maturity. When we baptize people, big or small, we are to work to bring them to maturity. This is the picture we see with Lazarus. Yes, God raised him from the dead. Yes, God commanded him to come out of the tomb. But the people around him had to loose him from the grave clothes. That's a picture of discipleship. Crops don't get planted by themselves. It takes a lot of people doing a lot of work to bring a harvest to bear. This is a picture of discipleship. This is a picture of our lives. And we don't plant seed wondering if it's going to grow. We plant seed expecting it to grow. We don't plant seed wondering if we're going to get a harvest. We plant seed expecting to get a harvest. And if we don't get a harvest, we're surprised, we're shocked, we're disappointed. When we baptize our children, when we baptize any adults, we baptize them expecting that they're going to grow up in Christ and they're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's the harvest God's looking for. And if they don't do that, we should be surprised. Because God has given us promises. Because the bag was marked, the seed was marked. This is what I planted. This is what I expect to get. If I don't get that, then something has gone wrong. But if we follow the methods of good farming that the Bible shows us to follow, we're going to be all right. God's going to keep his word. If the seeds we plant don't produce fruit consistent with the purpose planting, we should be very surprised. Not because we are presumptuous, but because we, are right, because we rightfully believed that we planted good seed and we worked accordingly. We're justified by faith, but faith works, people. We're not saved by works, but if we're saved, we are to work. If we've been planted into Christ, if we are good seed planted in the field of this world, our Father wants us to grow up and produce a harvest of fruit that glorifies Him. That's not a life that says, I'm corn, but I'm really just a tear growing in this field, taking up valuable space. I can look like a tear. I, can, I mean, I can look like corn, say I'm corn or say I'm wheat, but ultimately my fruit is going to tell what I really am. And I'm not talking about you living a perfectly seamless life because no one does. We all fail. We all sin. We all... We, we do that often. The good news is We're not saved because we get it right all the time. We're saved because God is graceful, because God is merciful, because God chose you to be his good seed, and he's planted you in this earth. The problem is that we lose sight of what God has commanded us to do and how he has told us to live and how we all play a part with one another for us all to be growing up into that harvest that God is looking for. Being surprised at what our planning produces should be the exception, not the rule. God has shown us in his word what to expect when we plant seed identified as good. And that is true whether that is the good seed of his word planted in our hearts 
And it is equally true if we are that good seed being planted into this world. We are to produce a glorious harvest of His fruit of the Spirit. Baptism identifies us, it plants us, it gives us the hopeful expectation of a life raised up from death to life to gloriously growing fruitfulness. God wants your life to be fruitful. And fruitfulness can look all kinds of ways. Fruitfulness is not dependent upon your external situation. Fruitfulness begins with your internal situation. Fruitfulness begins in your heart. Fruitfulness is not how hard or how easy your life is. It's not how rich or how poor you are. It's not how tall you are. It's not how much hair you have or whether you have a really good-looking haircut like mine. It doesn't matter. Those aren't the issues. The issue with fruitfulness begins right here in our heart. But guess what? It's going to grow from our heart and overflow into our lives and overflow out of our lives to everyone around us. That's how the kingdom works. This is why Jesus said the kingdom is like leaven that leavens the whole lump. The kingdom is like the mustard seed that's teeny tiny and seems so insignificant, but it grows and becomes something that is life-affirming and life-producing. The kingdom is like a field planted with good seed. And even though there may be tares sown in there, God knows how to separate those out. The point is, he will get his harvest. You've been planted in this world to produce fruit. And God, your Father, is glorified by the fruit you produce. You were buried, you were planted into Christ, into his death, to the point of you being raised to life so you can walk out that life and give glory to your Father in heaven. Amen? Let's get ready to come to the table. You're all welcome. You don't have to be a member of Christ Fellowship Church, but a member of the body of Christ. Every week we say the creed, and we're not confessing that we're Roman Catholics by denomination. We're confessing that we are part of the Catholic, the universal church. And anyone that's a part of his church can come to this table regardless of what particular denomination you may belong to. If you are in Christ, if you are trusting Christ, if you're looking to Christ, if you're good seed planted in the field of this world and you have been identified with Christ, then come to this table. Come to Jesus. Here's your charge. If you've not been baptized, then obey Jesus and be baptized. If you've not been baptized, obey Jesus and get buried with him so that you can be raised with him. What kind of seed are you? You're a seed. The question is, what are you? What are you identified as? Baptism is what identifies you as being the good seed that God wants to plant into this world. Remember, baptism doesn't save you. It just identifies you. God saves you. Jesus saves you.
And if you have been baptized, then walk like you've been raised from the dead and entered into new life. The worst thing you can do is be baptized and live like a dead man. To be baptized and live like a bag of unmarked seed that has no purpose but to sit in the corner of the feed store. Nobody wants it because nobody knows what it is. Well, I'll tell you who knows what it is. The devil knows what it is. If you've been baptized, then live like it. Walk like it. Like you've been raised from the dead and you've entered into the new life that's given to you only in Jesus Christ. Walk consistent with the seed you are identified with in your baptism. Bear fruit consistent with the root that is supporting you. And Christ is that root. So bear fruit consistent with the root who is Christ. Bear the fruit of his spirit. And a plant can only bear fruit if it's been planted. A seed can only grow and produce fruit if it's been planted. So if you've been planted, then grow, flourish, produce fruit, and glorify your Father in heaven. If you've not, then get planted. There's a little warm weather coming. It'd be a great time. I'll get in the water with you, okay? Seriously, if you've never been baptized, there's a connection card in your chair back. Just take it. Put your name on it and say, I want to be baptized. It's important. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's a command. And I hope today you understand better why Jesus commands that. Amen?